0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. It's the height of spooky season. In a minute, we'll hear about a kid's book that takes on some classic fears, a creepy house and lingering ghosts. But first, a fear that's a little bit more real, but just as isolating and panic-inducing as any haunted house. The other black girl is set in an office full of well-meaning, nice-enough white people and Nella, the lone black woman at the office. As the title of the book implies, Another Black Woman Shows Up, and that sets the stage for a thriller that plays off of insecurities, identity, race, and the absolute horror of office politics. Writer Zakia Dalila Harris talked with NPR Scott Simon about it. Nella Rogers
1: is happy at first to see that Another Black Woman has been hired as an editorial assistant at Wagner Books. She's often tired. Of being just about the only black person in the room actually in pretty much all the rooms of the publisher one morning nella sees through a small crack in a cubicle which she calls the flash of a brown hand let's ask zekia Delilah harris author of the new novel the other black girl to read what she first sees of hazel may mccall
2: the girl had a wide symmetrical face and two almond-colored eyes perfectly spaced between a lean horned nose and a generous forehead. Her skin was a shade or two darker than Nella's chestnut complexion, falling somewhere between hickory and umber. And her locks, every one as thick as a bubble tea straw and longer than her arms, started out as a deep brown, then turned honey blonde as it continued past her ears. And then there was the girl's pantsuit. A smart-looking ensemble composed of a single button marigold jacket and a matching pair of oversized slacks that hit a couple of inches above the ankle. Below that, a pair of red patent leather high-heeled ankle boots that Nella would have broken her neck just trying to get into.
1: The Other Black Earl is one of the spring's most anticipated novels. It's uh, the debut of Zakiya Dalila Harris, who spent three years in publishing and joins us from New York. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here.
1: Well, it's our honor. And, uh, and we should note, by the way, uh, your sister Aisha Harris is co-host of the Pop Culture Happy Hour
0: yes. uh, podcast
1: here at NPR. But she yes. is not involved in our show's editorial process to our <laughs> deficit, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> what different thoughts are set off in Nella by the arrival of Hazel May?
2: She is so curious. She is really just genuinely excited. She's been the only black person at Wagner Books for the last two years. And so to have this flash of color, um, in this space that's usually really drab and frankly very white, um, Nella's enthusiastic and excited about that and what that could mean for her.
1: Mm. We, we should mention that Hazel May has kind of a matchless backstory, doesn't she?
2: Yeah, I mean, she is really kind of the poster child um, for blackness in a lot of ways, um, of what the, the en vogue kind of blackness is. Um, she's, she comes from civil rights, um, kind of royalty. She expresses her opinions about things in a very confident way. Um, she is really the millennial who is speaking out. But at the same time, she's also able to navigate. Uh, this very white world of Wagner books in a very smooth kind of way that Nella actually doesn't necessarily navigate as well. Um And so that contrast really sets up a lot of interesting, uh, I'll just say interesting, dynamics between them.
1: And what kind of everyday pressures uh, has Nella, like so many other Black women uh, in U.S. publishing and not just U.S. publishing, faced? Being
2: the only one means a lot of things for Nella. The the thing that is really hard for her is the fact that she feels like she has to speak for every black person, every black opinion. Um she's expected to speak, but um in a certain way, right? She she has to come off in a way that's also appealing to her coworkers and that can change depending on what's in vogue, what's popular. So she really has to kind of fit herself into the molds that they believe she should be in.
1: I, I'm sure you knew this question was coming from the first moment you began to write the book. What what part is fiction and what part is memoir?
2: <laughs> A lot of it is fiction. A lot of it is exaggeration. I fortunately did not have it nearly as bad as Nella does. Um, I also wasn't the only Black person um, where I worked. I was still one of few, um, not many, and the only Black woman in editorial. So so that, that part of looking around the table and— not seeing anyone who looked like me, that part was very real. But the characters were very much a fun amalgamation of certain quirks, certain conversations I've overheard. All of those zany hijinks that you see in an office the, when you're close with other people like that. So that element was, was pretty on point.
1: Then one day, da, da 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 there's a note on Nella's desk. Leave Wagner, period, now. It's sinister, but a little ambiguous. How do you hope people react?
2: I mean, I wanted to have this mysterious element that kind of throws a wrench into Nella's plans, her life at Wagner books. Um, but I really want the reader to think about the note. It's, yeah. It was more for the reader because I want them to think about who they think would have left it for her. Um, and I think you can tell a lot about a reader by what they expect
1: Oh, who they who they kind of uh, have in their crosshairs. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, because there are a lot of suspects, right? There are a lot of people yeah. who could have done it. And uh, throughout this book, I really wanted readers to question their own prejudices, their own kind of analysis of certain interactions. And, and that note, I think, is just one example.
1: I found it sad when I reached the part in the book where uh, Nella says that Hazel made her feel redundant.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really goes into my own ideas that I have about, I mean, it's not only publishing, I think it's a lot of industries that are mostly white, where we commodify Blackness, where you only need this one version of this thing for this one purpose. Whereas diversity is not like that. You have to be thoughtful about how you're speaking with people, how you see the office, because all of those things matter. They make a difference into whether or not a place feels inclusive. So when Hazel's in the space, Nella feels like, okay, well, they have someone else who dresses cooler than me, who speaks on these things much more clearly and confidently than I do. Everyone seems to love her. My purpose here, my worth here is in question now.
1: No one's cooler than Nella, but I'm just—I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. I, as someone who really put her own personal quirks into Nella—that was. Ah. I'm glad to hear that.
1: <laughs> ah. I see. We I see we finally wrung that out of you.
2: <laughs> yes, you got me.
1: <laughs> uh, Zakia Dalila Harris is uh, author of the Other Black Girl. Thanks so much for speaking with us.
2: Again, such an honor to to be here with you today.
0: There's something inherently creepy about a picture of an old, empty room. Like, where is everybody? And without the distraction of seeing other people in the picture, you can almost feel the air. Children's book author Oliver Jeffers used old reference photos like these as the backdrop to his new children's book, There's a Ghost in This House. Here he is with NPR's Sarah McCammon.
3: On your next walk, look around. No doubt you will notice the influx of ghosts on front doors, breezing from branches, peeking from behind a bush. But what if there are ghosts in the house? What if you sense them, but you're not quite sure they're there? Well, that is the question at the heart of a new picture book illustrated and written by Oliver Jeffers. It's called There's a Ghost in This House. And he joins us now. Welcome to the program. Hello. So this is not a straight-ahead picture book. And for people who haven't seen it yet, I I wonder if you could just first describe the images in this book and the way that the ghosts appear on these sort of translucent pages.
4: It's definitely a book that's made that relishes the physical objects, the tactile nature of of books themselves. So what what you're looking at is a series of old photographs that have been um, reused from, uh, you know, old like furniture catalogs or or architectural reference books, basically uh, lots of empty rooms. And in those empty rooms, I've painted this uh, little girl character who's walking around, and she's bright green and like fluorescent yellow, and she's looking for a ghost. Those rooms are always on the left-hand side, and on the right is always the words of what she is saying to us, the, the viewer. And in between, there's a sheet of tracing paper. But as you turn the sheet of tracing paper... Uh, you realize that there is white ink printed on that tracing paper, and that 's the ghost and you then lay the ghost into the scene
3: and how did that idea that concept come to you
4: it, uh, really from from kind of multiple different facets uh, i have, I have one foot in the, in the fine art world, and uh, something i 've been doing for a long time is playing about with uh, old fine paintings or book covers, things that look like they 're the background of something, and then painting something into it and i've always also always enjoyed painting ghosts, uh, and especially ghosts into empty rooms. there's just something really satisfying about it you know if you find this this really old sort of detailed opulent uh, even kind of crumbling old room. Uh, and then you just paint that classic simple ghost shape into it. There's, it's just very pleasing. Um, and then a game I would play with uh, with my kids and, and uh, some of my friends' kids is you can paint a ghost onto a sheet of tracing paper and you can move it about the room yourself. But then the 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 story or the game of how it unfolds is sort of a whole separate conversation. And and like any idea, it's the amalgamation of lots of little things coming together.
3: Yeah, you mentioned the pictures. That's one of the things I loved about this book. It reminded me of being a child and, you know, sort of flipping through coffee table books with this tiny little captions at the bottom of different photos. And, you know, the setting of this book naturally is an old house built in 1760. And the book kind of merges those historic photos with your original artwork. As you move through the pages, you're, you're learning little details about the house. And as you say, seeing furniture and things like that. Why did you decide to set it up that way?
4: Well, it's just fun. I mean, there's there's no kind of there there is no real magic to it. It's uh, it, it's pretty obvious how this is done. It's it's taking these old photographs, painting something into it, and then just the the ability that you as the viewer can kind of control the speed at which it happens. And also the first time, the first couple of times the the ghost appears, it's so subtle that you don't even really notice it. So then when it becomes obvious, what I've noticed people tend to do is it was like, wait, was it there the whole time? And then kind of go back to the start and start again. It's like, oh yeah, there it is, the top of the stairs. It's simple. It's, uh, kids will be able to see how it's done. And, and it's, it's a part of it, a big part of it is just good fun, which is not an obvious thing to say about a ghost book, really.
3: Okay. I personally am disinclined to believe in things like ghosts. And yet I know several people whom I really respect who swear they've seen them. Mm. So I want to ask you do, do you believe in ghosts?
4: Well, uh, I think the best way to put it is this. I believe that uh, the, one of the basic principles of science is that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be replaced. And, you know, if we are effectively, you know, when you talk about somebody has good energy, we are a, a, a ball of energy as, as living beings. Uh, so I'm not close with the idea of it. Do uh, you know the, why people are afraid of ghosts and both fascinated by them has intrigued me since I really got into this. And, and I think it's that that fear of the unknown Is is where the fear comes from, but then why why are people so fascinated? And I think it's this the other end of the spectrum in that uh, we love the idea that things don't just end. You know, there's more to this one little brief spark of life that we get, Uh, and so we're sort of caught in in that uh, in that middle zone. Um, So ghosts are both fascinating and terrifying.
3: There's a lot in here that the reader sees, but the main character can't see, and I wonder about that choice. I mean, what kind of experience? do you want the readers i assume mostly children to have while they're while they're reading this book
4: in british and and irish uh, culture, especially come you know around Christmas, there's a thing called pantomimes. And I don't know if, if I haven't really heard of them too much in the US, but uh, it's it's this classic, you know, the the character on stage. It's for kids' theater. The character on stage is looking for someone. They keep hiding, and the kids are like, "It's behind you!" And you know, everybody's going crazy. And it's like, "Why can't you see it? It's right there!" And that just the idea of of playing with something so obvious. And uh, when I was testing this book on uh, some of my the young people in my life, uh, they started doing something that I hadn't really. Predicted, which is they would say, "No, wait, don't turn the page yet. We want to guess where the ghost is going to be." And so they sort of making up mm-hmm. their own games within it. Uh, and I and I, I really did love that. But some of the rooms, if you remove the girl character and these ghosts, they're they're actually really they're kind of creepy. You know, there's there's a, a darkness to some of this. And and I seem to have got away with putting uh, a ghost appearing over the shoulder of somebody in a bathroom mirror, which is about one of the most frightening things I can imagine. But it's funny. And I've I've sort of found a way to like kind of yeah take the take the the creepiness of these empty rooms filled with ghosts. It was always something that fascinated me when I was a kid. Uh, I can't watch scary films at all, but the you would walk past all the abandoned houses and just imagining that there might be ghosts in there, kind of walking around. And and then you get the thing: well, what do they do all day? You know, the they they just sort of are waiting for something to happen. So maybe that's what's happening: is they're playing a game with this guard.
3: You mentioned you can't watch scary movies. I mean, obviously, there is a scariness to, to Halloween. Do you find yourself inspired by other playful Halloween stories?
4: I've come to love Halloween in, in, a, in a big way. Um, it's, we didn't really celebrate it. Well, we did celebrate it a little bit, but it wasn't a huge deal in, in Belfast when we were growing up. Um, you had to carve a turnip. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever tried to carve a turnip. You, you kind of need a hammer and a chisel. It's really, really difficult. Is that
3: instead of carving pumpkins? Because, you know, that's what we do here.
4: Yeah, because we didn't we didn't have pumpkins. The first time I ever saw a pumpkin with my own eyes was in my twenties. You get them more commonly now, uh, but the, Halloween is actually more Irish than St. Patrick's Day, because St. Patrick's sort of came, was was imported back to Ireland by the the uh, New York Irish as a show of force. But Halloween is this ancient. Celtic pagan festival where you would light a bonfire on All Hallows' Eve and everybody would bring an ember from the bonfire home and the only way they could think to transport it was in this carved out turnip so that they wouldn't burn anything and it wouldn't go out and when they got to when the Irish got to to the, the new land the Americas they couldn't find any turnips and did find pumpkins and found they were infinitely easier to carve
3: That's Oliver Jeffers his latest picture book is There's a Ghost in This House Thanks so much for talking with me
4: Oh my pleasure thank you
0: that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Megan Lim and edited by Petra Mayer, Megan Sullivan, and Taylor Burney. The show producers for this week were Ayan Bior, Ashish Valentine, Justine Kennan, Jason Fuller, Isabella Gomez, Ed McNulty, Matthew Sherman, Samantha Balaban, and Dee Parvaz. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening, and happy Halloween.